Okay, so we are in this series, and I'm limited on time, so I'm going to freestyle it. I love the testimonies. It always creates opportunity for me to just kind of freestyle it, right? Because I don't have enough time to do the talk that I have. I'm super excited about this talk. Ever since I was preparing the talk two weeks ago about encouraging one another, um, I actually started writing about this, this talk, and it turned into encouraging one another, so I stayed on encouraging uh, with the idea that uh, we need to encourage one another. And uh, we read the scripture in Hebrews, and it says, you know, encourage one another daily, or your hearts will turn, like in the wilderness they did. Hearts will turn away from the Lord into, into darkness, into, into a wilderness where there is no life. And we talked about that. And last week, Alan talked about loneliness. And this week, I'm going to talk about not only are we called to encourage each other, but we're called to confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed and we can be cleansed. And then I'm going to talk about why this is so important, that when we confess our sins one to another, we, that is walking in the light, that when we bring our brokenness, our sins, our thoughts, everything uh, into the light, out of the darkness, we confess them, that is what it means to walk in the light. Okay, and it is a command. It is not an option. And so the invitation today is into freedom, not guilt, not shame. Like, oh, my goodness, my sins. Whoa, am I great, Antley. Thanks for the old shot in the arm. I get to, like, drum up all my brokenness. No, 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 no. That's not what this is about. This is about inviting the spirit in to bring things into the light, into your heart, into places of your heart where there's stuff that's been there. There's darkness that's been there. And where there is darkness at our heart, we are creating space for the enemy to traffic. We are creating space for the enemy to, to lie, to kill, and destroy that area of our heart. There's no area of our heart that remains dark at the same level. It will escalate into darker, darker darkness, okay? Because he will come after you. He will destroy you. He will lie to you. He will say things to you that will affect what you believe about yourself, what you believe about God. And so confessing your sin one to another so that you will be healed is critical, it is critical because it is only in that way, like Alan said last week, it is only in being together with people in community that we can become who God's created us to be, okay? And so like straight up, this is where this talk is going to end. Find somebody that you can confess and talk to and be honest with, all right? If you don't know anybody, pray that God will reveal somebody to you. And if you don't have God reveal anyone to you, Go to a counselor, find a Christian counselor, go to a counselor, call Martha, call me. I will, you can come. This is one of the things I love the most about my job is when someone comes into my office and you can just see the burden that they've been carrying. You can see the brokenness and you can see the fear of sharing this part of their life that they have been carrying around and they unload it and it's amazing. It's amazing because when they unload it, there is a freedom that immediately occurs when you bring something into the light, out of the darkness. Because once it's in the light, the Holy Spirit has opportunity to traffic his goodness. And so it takes it away from darkness into the light. And immediately, immediately, there is freedom at some level. And then what I get to do at that point is remind them, this is who you really are. That's not who you are. This is who you are. This is how good God is. This is what he's done for you. And so adding on to that, as people confess their sin, you add on the truth to that in a way that brings greater life, greater identity. 
I'm going to do an illustration. Okay, come on, child. What's up, dog? Okay, we're going to do an illustration right here. I just thought about this when we were worshiping. All right, okay. Vicki, you're going to be God. Come on. Vicky's God, okay? So, like, this is like, come on, come over here. No, we'll go over here by the black X. We know the camera's good here. Okay, so normally in life, Vicky's God, right? And Chad's like, oh, I don't like God. I don't hate God. I don't want to be with God. And the Holy Spirit convicts him, right? And then Chad goes, I love God. Hey, God, what's up? How you doing? Okay, and they're like walking in relationship side by side, go side by side, hold hands. Awkward. No. Okay, or hug. Go this way. Go this way so I have room. Okay. And then what happens sometimes, even though Chad knows Jesus, he goes, oh, snap. Oh, man, I kind of like my old way of life. And he does this, right? He turns away. And then what does God do? All right, you go your way. I'll go mine, right? No, God turns and starts pursuing, right? So go walk, pursue. Okay. And then God catches them. And then he goes, oh, man. And it might take a little while, right? Might take some time, but eventually Chadwick turns back to God, and what are they doing again? They're walking, okay? So back up, back up. Stay right here. So this is what happens. This is what happens whenever the confessee comes in the picture, right? And so Chad's like, we're walking this walk. And Chad says, oh, man, Antley, I confess this to God. And I just want you to know that I beat my wife. Okay. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's the most loving husband in the world. Okay? I'm like, dude, that's amazing. Thank you for, sh- that's not amazing, but thank you for sharing. That's, that's awesome. No, but I would say, dude, that's not who you are. Let's pray about it. Let's begin to ask Jesus in that area of your life. Or he might confess something else. Like, I really struggle with sexual sin. Or he might... You know, say, you know, I got to go pregnant in high school and she had an abortion. All of those things, right? So he's confessed that to God and there's forgiveness. He's made righteous, okay? Like, boom, instant, right away. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing, not height nor depth, nor nothing in all creation can separate us from that love, okay? But we still struggle with flesh. We still struggle in our flesh like we said. And so two weeks ago we said, and so you need people alongside of you to encourage you in that, Right? Okay, so this is what happens now. It's like, all right, I'm with you, bro. Let's go. Okay, no, this is what happens. This is what happens. Chad goes, oh, snap. I'm the dirt bag of all dirt bags, right? right. So he turns around. Let's go. God turns around. What do I do? Man, oh, man, baby. What you going to do? Dude, this isn't who you are. Don't be going this way. I love you, man. This is not. What are you going to do? You need to turn around. You need to turn around. You turn back. Here we go. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'll give you a script next time. That's me. That's me flying by the seat of my pants, okay? And so that's what happens. And we have these ministries like we talked about. We invited people into. We talked about AIF. We talked about the the ministry inviting men and women who struggle with sexual sin where we know that there's there's so much shame. You know, we spoke about that. um, And we know that in a crowd this size, the statistics of people, men and women, who are struggling with sexual sin are a lot. It's very high. And, uh, and, and when we, we, we announced that, eight, eight people came forward that said, I want freedom in this area. I want life in this area. I need help in this area. It's not even necessarily addiction. Eight people, which is amazing, amazing to have the courage to do that. But I will tell you this, 
there are probably 10 times that, if not more, in this space who struggle with that, who are not talking about it. Survey done with 40,000 people, 40,000 people who struggle with sexual sin. And the question that they were asked, one of the questions was, how many of you have told someone about the struggle? 62% admitted that they had not. 62% admitted that they had not. And so they're walking around carrying this burden, carrying this heaviness, this part of their heart where the enemy is having a field day talking to them about their dirtiness, talking to them and giving them shame, telling them this is who you really are. You are not free. This is separating you from God. So the invitation, again, as we engage with other people, we bring another person into that journey with us that brings us life where we can be cleansed. Because here's the deal, is that you, can, you will be forgiven, okay? You will be forgiven from God I'm going to read a verse that talks about this. Every time you confess your sin, but you can remain in a negative pattern. You can remain in a negative pattern. You can continue to believe lies. Okay? And what Jesus is telling us today is the way you spin out of that, the way that you get out of those kinds of things is confessing it to a brother or a sister so that they can walk with you and help you in that journey so that your behavior will change. So that not because here's the thing, it's like, well, you know, we tell our we tell our stuff to God. It's easy to tell our stuff to God. Right. But there's no risk there. Zero risk. Zero faith in that to some degree, because we know he's faithful to forgive. When you share your stuff with someone else, that is where the risk is. Will you still love me? Will you really look at me the same way? This is who I really am. I'm not the person I've been lying. I'm not the person, the front that I've been having, the mask that I've been wearing. This is who I really am and being vulnerable. This is who I really am. Even though the consequence might be that my wife or husband leave me. This is who I really am, even though it might cost me my job or a friendship. This is who I really am. This is the most important thing to me. Not the fear of man, not the fear of man, but the belief that as I fear God in an awesome and an awe, not like he's going to crush me, but you're amazing, you're beautiful, you're glorious, I bow before you. It's more important for this relationship than any of this relationship. And then Jesus says, if this relationship's important to you, then this relationship has to be important to you. This cannot happen the way it's supposed to be fully without you having relationships with other people. God has designed us. At the fall in Genesis, our relationship with God was broken first. And then relationship with man. Cain and Abel, there was, they killed each other. One of them killed the other one. So there's a, a, a fracture with brother and brother, sister and sister. And then out of that, what happened? Shame, guilt. There was a brokenness that came inside of us about who we believe ourselves to be. And so when we engage with God, we engage with other people, this is made right, this is made right, and then by their voice in our life, the Spirit's voice in our life, this is made right. Who we see ourselves as, that we are children, that we are heirs of a king, that we are not defined any longer by what we do, that there is nothing that we can do that will add to our righteousness, that we are beautiful to God, that he adores us, that he has great affection for us, 
period, end of story. And that there's nothing we can do that saddens, that maddens, or makes him angry. There's nothing that we can do. But there are things that we can do that cause us to feel separated from him. And the greatest hurdle we have is forgiving ourselves. The greatest hurdle we have is forgiving ourselves. And it's why we need people in our life that are reminding us who we are, who we belong to. Okay, James 5.15 says this, and this will be a familiar verse to some of you. And And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has power, is effective as it is working. Leave that scripture up there. Okay, I'm just going to fire through this. Okay, when it talks about right here, it talks about this verse. And the prayer of faith saves the one who is sick. That word for sick, he doesn't specify. Is it physical? Is it emotional? Or is it spiritual? What the word means is that this person is weak. This person is weak in an area of their life. Okay, and he's and, and so what's happening is James is saying if in, in an area of, of your life that you're weak, you need to confess your sin. You need to bring your weakness, bring your brokenness to another person. Confess that to the person. Okay, and then don't just confess because confession doesn't heal. Prayer to Jesus is He is the one who heals. He is the only one who heals. He is the author of life, the perfecter of life. He, is, he knows how we're shaped and what we need. So we confess our sins one to another, which brings things into the light. But it's not until we pray and we bring our brokenness before Jesus, we intercede together, that healing can come, light can come into that area of our heart. Even though we, we experience an immediate free, freedom, we need to be healed of, healed of that. So that we can move forward. And then it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Okay. And so like some of you are thinking like prayer of a righteous person means spiritual giant. Like Antley Fowler. That's what you're thinking, right? No, I know you're not thinking that. Okay. But you're thinking like someone like, you know, someone like powerful, like a great Christian, like super Christian, right? That's not what that means. This word righteous, the prayer of a righteous person is the prayer of a person who's made right before God. So this is saying, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You are qualified. You are a righteous person. And your prayer is powerful. Your prayer is powerful. And so what does that do? That takes away away your excuse. That takes away your excuse. Someone comes to you, they confess something, The scripture says, James says, pray for them. Your prayer is powerful so that they can be cleansed, so that they can be healed. I mean, what an honor. What a blessing that is for Chad to invite me into intimacy like that. I want you to be the one that prays for me to be healed. I need you. I'm going to share this with you. I'm going to be vulnerable with you. What a gift that is for someone to trust you with their heart, right? What a gift, not a burden. What a gift when someone risks that way towards you, when God leads someone that way towards you. That's amazing. It's a privilege. And so what happens in this 
and I, I did the example, is that in this relationship, there is power. The person, as we confess, as we turn away, we turn back towards God. And so not only is he blessed, but I get to see this doing, this happening. What I was going to do, I meant to do is like grab Chad's hand and go like, hey, God, you're so awesome. You're so awesome. God, and like dance around God, because that's the effect joy, celebration, when we see the power of the Spirit move and healing happen in someone's life. That's why we're like cheering for Kay. We're cheering, you know, for these people who've had these healing experiences because it's a celebration. We get to celebrate with them. Okay, now, the next scripture is this. This is the bomb schnizzle. I never read this before. It's from a book called Experience the Father's Embrace. The staff just went through it. The elders are going through it. And our city group's getting ready to go through it. It's, I think it's one of the most important books you could read. Experienced in the Father's embrace, okay? And it says this. It says this. 1 John 1, 5 to 10. This also might be familiar to you. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him... While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. Okay, there's two times he says, if we say we haven't sinned, we're a liar. Okay, so what does that mean? We all need to confess our sin. We all need somebody that we're talking about our sin with, that we're talking and we're being honest, we're being real, we're being vulnerable, we're opening ourselves up to. Why? Because we all have sin. And Jesus says, I will forgive you. I'm faithful to forgive you. But just above that, it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, God is light. And because he, that is his very nature, like God is, like love is his nature, okay? And so that means God opposes darkness. He doesn't oppose you when you have darkness. He opposes darkness, And his greatest desire is to drive darkness out of your life so that you can experience light in your life. You can experience healing in your life. Okay, so light is warm. It's yummy, cozy. It feels good, right? When it shines on things, things grow. What's darkness? Darkness is cold. Darkness blinds you to who you are. Darkness causes you to self-preserve, to hide from other people to believe lies of the enemy. And you shut God out of those areas. And again, you allow the enemy to continue to lie to you about who you are. Continue to lie to you about who God is and how he sees you. Continue to lie to you about how other people see you. And so we lead these fake lives, marginalized Christians, walking around as empty shells, looking and talking like we are Christians, but inside we are not having the joy, the life that light brings, the life that light brings. And so what this scripture is saying here is this, if you want to walk in the light, you have to bring your sin out of the darkness. 
That's something you have to do. You have to choose to bring your sin, your brokenness out of the darkness into the light if you want to be cleansed. And when I talk about sin, this is what I mean. This is what I mean. It's not only immoral acts, okay? It's like, like wounds that have happened in your life. Remember that word was weaknesses. Whenever someone does something to you or abuses you emotionally, spiritually, or physically, you get a part of your heart that's wounded and vulnerable, that it says the enemy, like a lion, will attack again and again and again. Okay? And so it might be things that you've been... So like that. So wounds that we have that allow... makes us an easy target. It is immoral sins, maybe. You know, but it can also be our thoughts. Our thoughts about people. Jealousy, coveting. Things that nobody sees. Anger when someone does something well. You know, we see children when we want to have children. There's a part of our heart that is bitter towards God. Right? And so it's not only the things we do. It's not only our wounds. It's, it's also our thoughts. And all of these things... We need to bring into the light if we want to have life. And so the things, though, there are things that prevent us from doing that, or lies that we believe that prevent us from doing that. And there are lots of them. There are lots of them. But four are pride, believing that we need to lie about who we really are um, so that we're better than other people, we feel better about ourselves, and um, we're self-righteous, okay? So we're like, we're awesome, you're not awesome because of the way I live my spirituality. It allows me to condemn you, making me feel better about myself. And so I have to hide who I really am because then I lose that and we're all equal at the foot of the cross. Fear of what others may think of you. Fear of what others may think of you. And this is a big one. It's, it's related to the pride thing, except this is, what's, this is the root of that, is I'm more worried about what you think than I am about what God thinks. And what God thinks is, I want to heal. Okay? But you're afraid of that because you think he's going to judge. Because we judge each other. We, the church is one of the worst environments. We judge each other so we think God's going to judge us so we don't share anything. We don't share anything because we're afraid of what you will think about me. Okay? And so, shame. If you knew this about me, you might not love me. If you knew this about me, you might not love me. I was raped, or I committed adultery, or I had an abortion, or I abused my wife, or my wife abuses me, or I drink too much, or I regularly do this or that or the other, and the enemy just compounds and compounds and compounds, and we feel so shameful about our heart, about who we see ourselves as, that there's no way we're going to trust other people with that. And this is a, this is a massive one, a massive one for, for us to get over. And the only way we get over it is by inviting the Spirit in to remind us who we are, to bring light, to break through. Irresistible grace is when God breaks into areas of our heart that we are afraid to give him. So we invite the Spirit to come in, bring God's grace into that even though we're afraid to trust him with it. And that's what happens in inner healing. That's what happens whenever we invite people down front to receive prayer. Actually, all these things, all these things get ministered to in, in inner healing in depth. 
and prayer. Okay? Okay. So, and the fourth thing is consequences. We're afraid. We're afraid if we tell what's happened to our life that something bad will happen. My wife will leave me. My husband will leave me. I could get fired. Or they'll think differently of me. I'll get kicked out of this club. Or I won't be invited back. You know, there's a number of things. But we're afraid of the consequences of what will happen. And you know, this is a hard one too. This is what, this is the deal. Okay? When we make mistakes, we need to take responsibility. We're going to be forgiven. The promise of the Father is you will be forgiven. And he's asking us, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Then take responsibility. Don't worry. I will walk with you. I'll take care of you. Is it scary? Is it hard? Absolutely. But we need to take responsibility when we make mistakes. Because when we do, we come to God with that. We find freedom and we find life. Regardless of what happens here in this world, there is something that happens in the eternal that is so much greater, so much more important. When we do this, this is what happens. We receive freedom. Okay? When we confess our sins, we immediately, there's something that happens. Boom. Burden is lifted. Given to Jesus. Okay? Right away, something happens. And then the, one of the other things that happens is that you bring freedom to others. The person you share your brokenness with or your wound with or what's happened to you with, all of a sudden they feel valued and you normalize sin in their life, in the lives of other people. So you come forward and you tell something. This is what happened to me when I was a child and it's affected me the rest of my life. I haven't told anybody. And all of a sudden, God takes that confession and he begins to bring light to it. And as he heals you of that, he uses you as a wounded healer to heal other people. Because when you do that, you're giving God permission to do something in you that's gonna bring healing to others and your vulnerability and you trusting him, he takes that and he gives you more. And so you bless other people. You bring life to other people and people will start coming to you and they say, when I was a child, that also happened to me. And this is how it affected me. Again, like, that's crazy powerful. That's, you're, you're, that is changing the course of people's lives, of people's marriages, of how they live, how they act, what they do. I mean, it's crazy. It's huge. The last thing that happens is that we bring freedom to the world. The world sees the family of the church. The world sees us acting and confessing and loving and forgiving, extending grace and walking with, being faithful to people that even hurt us, that hurt people we love, we still are able to forgive because we have been forgiven. The world sees this and they're like, what the what? They're like, they're not judging each other. They're not condemning each other. They're not angry at each other. They're loving each other. They're loving each other. They're walking with each other. And that's If that's what the Father is like, I want what the Father has. You bring freedom to yourself, freedom to others, and freedom to the world. And we need that, don't we? The family of God is unlike any other family in the world. It's unlike anything. It's a picture of what heaven will be like. It's an invitation into freedom for you and for others. And it is a city on a hill. For the world to see. That's what we're called to as a family. Not only this way. 
but to overflow this way. And it only happens when we're obedient to the word of God and we make our relationships right here as well as right here. And let's stand.